Welcome back to DMC Podcast, Season 2, Episode 43. And in today's episode, we were going to talk about the process of finding jobs and perhaps even landing your dream job. I know a lot of friends out there, uh, people that have just graduated, are uh, looking for work and they're trying to get into the big wide world now because obviously we lived in a little bubble being at university and people want to make the right moves for themselves and look for the jobs that they feel are best suited for themselves. But I know a lot of people out there struggling and they ask for advice from time to time. I know Joseph gets a few messages as well. So we thought, why not spend today's episode being a bit of a, uh, like a back and forth in that sense, conversation about how we were able to get the jobs that we did and what stuff we've learned along the way, especially being not only getting jobs after university, but being placement students. And I wanted to delve into that in today's episode. I know Joseph was quite excited to talk about this because he's got a few anecdotes for us uh, throughout this episode. But before we begin, I just want to ask Joseph, how have you been keeping up, man? How you been? I've been good, man. I've been good recently. You know, lots of life changes, moving to a new place, new home, moving away from home. You know, it's it, it's just been been really exciting. It's been a really it was pretty smooth, actually. It was pretty smooth. You know, plane sailing, lots of stuff to do, lots of stuff to buy and make it feel make a house a home, you know, that kind of vibe. But it's been good. You know, whilst we've been doing this, my girlfriend's been on the job hunt, looking for stuff to do, looking for work and things like that. And, you know, lots of people might be looking to change up their jobs and try and push for better salaries, promotions, given that the cost of living crisis is affecting everybody. You know, it's something that's very important to get paid what you believe you're worth and what you believe your responsibilities should reflect. So hopefully some of the stuff that we chat about today could help you feel confident in going and asking for those things and making those active changes. But aside from that, I've been doing great. What about yourself? I've been really good, Joseph. I've just had a really busy weekend traveling up and down the country. So it's, it's been really exciting, but it's also been very tiring. And I was quite happy to be back at home now in the comfort of your own house, sleeping on your own bed. You'd, you'd, you'd be so surprised how much of a difference that makes. And I hope you're able to settle in quite easily into your new home as well, because I know it's not the same being in a different bed, being in a different environment. And uh, I'm sure for you, you might actually prefer it because it seems like it's less busy whereabouts you are compared to where you were before. And I think that's probably good in a way because sometimes the busy lifestyle and the busyness doesn't really help, man. It's it's quite, it quite can be quite difficult for people's mental health. And I feel like we're constantly busy, especially around London. It's always busy. And I feel like uh, that's something that we can actually touch on when it comes to finding a job because feel people feel like they're in a constant rush to do things and f- like find the next best thing for themselves. So I hope you're settling in well. It sounds like you are, as we spoke before the podcast started, you're really enjoying it and buying your new things to your house. So I'm really proud of you. I just want to congratulate you on that as well, man. That's awesome. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. But yeah, I just want to jump right in, Joseph. Obviously, now you've moved and you're talking about starting work. But and one big question, and I put it as the first one because everyone really asks myself this quite a lot. And they're like, how do you do an interview? And I know that sounds such a broad question because there's so many factors when it comes into that. But how do you present yourself in an interview? How What's the first few things that come to mind when I say interview and you're about to go into? You know what? I, I always go into the interview and it's kind of bad, but I, my aim is to make them not make them laugh like a comedian, like a, you know, make them have them, you know, side split in, slapping their legs kind of laugh, but give them a little chuckle. You know what I mean? Just like break down the barrier from of professionalism a little bit and make it a bit more casual. I don't know if that's for better or for worse, because sometimes there might be some companies which want that professionalism. 
But a lot of the time, and nowadays especially, there's a push for people, for like a people-focused company, when the employees are the stars of the show and the work they do will naturally come after if you have a happy employee. So when I go in there, my one of my goal is to be like, okay, that this part may have gone badly, this part may have gone badly, but at least I made the interviewer crack a smile, have a little bit of a chuckle, have a laugh, and we had things things were like quite amenable between us both. And I think that makes things a lot better. If you go in there and you're super rigid and you're like, yep, these are my qualifications. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm bad at. Done. It's just so like soulless. It's so soulless. So when I go into it, I try and put some soul in there. You know, I've, I've worked in retail. I've worked in, you know, um, worked in art, art exhibitions. I've worked behind bars. I've worked as a software engineer, worked in lots of different places and all the times that I go for these interviews, I just try and obviously it's easy to say try and relax. And for me, thankfully, I'm able to. But a lot of the time I just go in there with the intention of trying to break down the professionalism barrier a little bit. That's why when I go an interview, I don't ever go wearing a full suit. Like I, I wouldn't I, I don't know. I feel like that's just a little bit too um, too prude. I feel like it's just not it's just too professional and that's just not me as well I don't want to give a misrepresentation of me so I go in there and I try and just make things a little more casual and that way I can just ease myself into the conversation and have an open dialogue rather than a full-on interview style kind of thing maybe that's from my limited experience and I haven't had a proper professional interview like that yet but I've worked for a fair few a few big companies now and they all seem to like my interview style because every time I've gone for an interview so far, I've got the job. So that's kind of what, what I how I approach things. Do you approach things in a different way, Manny? Because I've never done a group interview, for example, and I know you've done a fair few assessment centers and stuff like that. So could you speak to any different ways that you'd approach it? I feel like me and you, in a sense, really good that we're talking about this because we have very contrasting views. I think one thing that is very much like resonates with both of us is that we try to imprint our own ideas and our own personalities onto the interview, which I think is very important. And there's a way of going about it. And I think you respond about it, how you said you like to make it a more of a conversation. You like to throw a few jokes in there and things like this. And to be honest, uh, I'm quite the opposite in the sense when you mentioned that you don't wear full on suit, I'm suited and booted, ready to rock and roll. Like I love dressing up I don't know what it is for me it feels like an occasion it's a it's a day where I can dress up in my best clothing and just show off really who I am and I think that's super important and something I uh, really take a lot of pride in so I love doing that that's just me personally I love going in like that so for the most part you'll catch me wearing a suit and do you, just do you going find out. that it gives you it gives you more confidence wearing the suit or like going oh, yeah up 100% like that confidence, like that? yeah that confidence boost is just it. for me it's for me, I love wearing blades. Like my attire generally is very smart casual. So for me, wearing like full-on suits and stuff like this, it really appeals to me a lot. Like I really like it a lot and I'm quite happy to do that. And that's probably why like I really have a, a good time doing interviews because I'm wearing the stuff I enjoy wearing. So I understand where you're coming from. Where it's like you want to come across the way you think is best for you and perhaps it's more, you're more comfortable not wearing uh, a blazer, but you're probably wearing a, a white T-shirt um, with a tie with like without a tie and things like this and I feel yeah you want someone to feel comfortable ultimately when you go into an interview and we want to be able to present yourself in that kind of way where you can be comfortable and also prevent 
present yourself very professionally i feel like people struggle with doing both and they feel like if they compromise on one that they also compromise on the other which isn't necessarily the case uh, which you articulated earlier so i'm glad that we kind of you mentioned that because i'm i'm the complete opposite honestly I, i really like wearing um like a suit and just know that for me when I try to prime my environment is that this is something official for me or something very professional. So I want to go into that very professionally. I want to be able to, I say it like this, I want to be able to go into the room in the interview and I feel like I know more than the person I'm talking to. And that is a very difficult, especially when someone's worked at a company for X amount of years and you only have such limited access to what they have on the website. But it's, it's stuff like this. I try to, keep a keen eye on especially on the website and just have like a lot of information i'll be honest the last interview i did i think had 14 pages of notes and that might not be someone's 14 pages yeah I, I i wrote down like um like sample questions that i thought would come up answered them wrote down like stuff that was important about the company that i thought was important and um, maybe we can touch on this as well when it comes to presenting yourself when an interview really is why are you a good fit for the company so for me, I always take note of that and think to myself, I'm a good fit for the company if I can give an example from the, what the company does and how it aligns or links to what I believe in. And that's what I realize is something that I take massive notice of and something that I do during interviews is trying to find elements of the uh, company that I feel that can link to myself or something that I've done recently, which I feel like not necessarily is on the, the same level of the company, but it's like, I do, we do a personal development podcast and something like this very much aligns with the ideas of perhaps like mentoring people and being able to coach people because we distribute content to help people lead better lives. And it's stuff like this where the principles are the same, but they're applied in different ways. And that's how I like to link myself to the company. But that's what I do during interviews. And just wanted to touch base on what you said earlier about like group assessment centers. It's very much like you said, where you... You want to be able to get along with uh, the people. You want to be able to express yourself, but also not be, be too like dominating in the conversation and feel as if you're more important than someone else. So like there'll be elements which you kind of guide the conversation, but you won't be like, oh, we have to do this. Like when I did one of my assessment centers, I said, I've, I, I just wanted to run this idea with you guys. Uh, do you feel like this would be a very good structure? And I named it what we should do. And I said, oh, for the last 10 minutes, I'll, I'll let you guys know when that's happened and then we can finalize and summarize the points that we've made. And it's small things like that where I don't seem like I'm assuming a leadership role, nor do I feel like I'm dominating the conversation, but it's ask, it's giving something like leading the conversation in the sense that you give a suggestion, but you still want the intake of the people around you. And I feel that's something that is super important and very like much like a key focus when it comes to group assessment centers. It's not only how well you get along with these people, but how well you can articulate yourself and really take hold of what someone said and not only reinforce it, but also like sometimes you're going to disagree. There was times that I've said something and someone's not agreeing with me. I said, oh, if you have any objections, uh, do you, you would you like to raise it now? If anyone's got any uh, disagreements with what I've said, I'm more than willing to listen. And it's small key phrases like this or words that you just say in conversation. That's really uh much like taken notice of by the people observing you and it's something that i've learned throughout the processes i've been in yeah it sounds like you've just you found a way that works for you basically you found a way that allows you to best 
represent yourself but also shows your skills and doesn't you don't want to be demeaning towards the other participants as well you don't want to be like saying oh you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong you don't want to be that guy because obviously that's a not that's not who you are manny but also that doesn't show a good team worker you know it's it's also about the way you phrase things sometimes say if you're in a group setting and you know loki you're competing with the people around you but if you phrase things and you do believe your answer is better than somebody else's or you do believe you've got a better idea a great thing to do and also just in life in general is to say oh that's a good idea but have you thought about doing it this way and rather than saying nah let's do it like this you know it's it's just the phrasing can make such a big difference you know a hundred percent and i totally agree with you and it's it's how we come it's really very much the way of words when it comes to these interviews it's being able to articulate yourself appropriately and say something and it's it's how you say things is so important and like also tone of voice and these more subtle um, things that we might not take notice of on a day-to-day, but I feel like is very much under scrutiny during an interview, which can sound very daunting. Don't get me wrong. It sounds like very stressful, but uh, that's why I wanted to get your take on it, Joseph, because like you said, you've been very successful in interviews and I wanted to hear from you how you've been able to do it. And it's like we both agree on, it's very much imprinting your own personality onto the interview, but not doing that in such an exaggerated manner either. Yeah, for sure. It's just for, for me, the ways that I'm able to be successful is just by making people feel at ease. I, I don't know if that's just something that I've got a knack for, something that is good, but I'm, I, I've just got, it's just being able to say the right things, just not make people feel like you're looking down on them and everyone's on the same kind of level playing field. And that I don't go into an interview believing that I'm guaranteed this job. But at the same time, I go in there thinking, well, if I've come this far, I deserve to be here. A lot of people have imposter syndrome where they get to an interview or they get a job and they're like, man, I don't deserve to be here. This is way above my pay grade. This is way above what I expect of myself. But some, but you, you're meant to be there because at the end of the day, they're a company. They're there to make money. They're there to employ the people who they believe are best fit for their company. If they didn't think that that could be you, they wouldn't put you there. You know, they're not a charity. They put you there for a reason. So when you go there, you could have that in mind. If you're having doubts about your abilities, you go there, you have that in mind. And then it just makes everything that little bit easier for when you are talking to the person that, oh, well, I'm, I'm meant to be here. I'm, I'm meant to talk, be talking to this person right now. And they, I'm a suitable candidate. Otherwise, they wouldn't have picked me to be at this spot. And that takes all the pressure off because then you're not, worrying about oh what if I get exposed what if I get found out what if they see me as a fraud or a fake or whatever all these kind of things and those those kind of thoughts will be dispelled hopefully when you realize actually they chose me to be here because I'm suitable for this and that's a really nice way of being able to make things a little bit easier um, which for me is something that was quite important that I've learned when trying to get these jobs is that you do deserve to be there at each stage they wouldn't put you there if, you, if you're not Um, But another big important thing that I learned was it's not personal. If you get a rejection or you get accepted or you get through to the next stage or you don't quite make it, it's never personal. It's not, oh, God, that man, Raj Sidhu, hate that guy. 
you know, he sucks. I hate him. He's, you know, his beard is whack. His hair is whack, whatever. Nothing like that, Manny. Just claim him, Manny's trim is looking fire these days. I can't lie, the new trim, beautiful. But you send me some more pics of that, Manny, by the way. I want to see some angles, man. I appreciate angles. that. Um, but yeah, but they could, it's never going to be like that. They're never going to be attacking him personally. It's just because they're looking at it from a company standpoint. When you get rejected, it's not a personal attack. It's not to say you aren't good enough. It's to say you weren't the right fit for the company right now. There's so many caveats there. So many like you're, right, you're not the right fit for this specific company at this specific time. You could be the right fit for a different company right now. You could be the right fit for the same company, but you're not quite there yet. And it's just about seeing that and developing yourself and trying not to get disheartened when you get rejected. That's like... The most important thing that I've learned getting these jobs is when I've got these rejections, I don't take it personally because it's not a personal attack. It's literally that the company is trying to do what they believe is best to earn them profit. And if I'm not at that stage yet, that's not personal. That's If anything, that's something for me to look back and be like, okay, that's fine. Where did I go wrong? And I always make sure I ask for feedback. Even when I send those emails saying, oh, unfortunately, we cannot provide feedback right now. I send them an email anyway, asking for feedback, just in case. Just try and be that cheeky guy. Just to try and get something out of it. I don't want to be spending hours applying for somewhere and I get nothing out of it. I don't get any development. I might as well spend another five minutes writing a quick email being like, oh, if there's any info you give me as where I can improve, stuff like that is so useful. So I always find that that is like the most important thing to remember is that it's never personal when you're trying to land a job. Um, what about yourself, Manny? Have you picked up anything that's of like specific importance? Any one thing you could mention? I think you said it because the truth is the most important thing I learned was actually from you, uh, which is going to sound really weird. I don't think I've ever given you credit for it. I was spoken to about it properly. When I got into the latter stages of uh, the uh, one of the companies I worked for, and I remember saying to you, I was like, Joseph, man, I can't believe I'm here. Like there'll be time, and it's, it sounds bad because back then, especially back before when during my placement, I was like, I didn't know if I deserve it or I was deserving of the role I was about to get. And I remember talking to you, and I was like, to you, I was like, bro, I, I don't know why I'm here. I genuinely don't know why I'm here. I don't feel like I should belong here. And it's all those feelings of not only imposter syndrome, but like you said earlier, feeling like a fake, feeling like you're not deserving of these things. And you just said to me, you're like, Manny, you got this far into the stage. And I want to let you into a little secret. And this was just before um, I got uh, the job. You to me, the job, the, at the end of the day, the company are choosing the people that they believe are the best. He said, that's how you need to see it. He said, every stage that you go through, you're going through that filtering process and they still feel like you're one of the strongest candidates. And this was just before my assessment centre. And you had to me, just do the assessment centre as well as you think you will and just do it by just being yourself and I'm sure you'll come back to me and you'll be like, I had an amazing time and it really went well for you. And then even when I got the job, I remember seeing to like, Joseph, man, I, I can't believe it. And you actually, Manny, it's not, the, the company's not a charity. They don't give out jobs for free. And when he said that, it just changed my mindset. It's like, I had a massive problem when it came to framing down or framing things that were happening for me that are very positive. And I've noticed these very um, self-sabotaging like, habits I have sometimes. And when you framed it to me like that, it, there is no counter argument. To that. There is no, oh, but there is just, is, it just, is just being, it belongs there. That's, that's just the ultimate truth. And when you told me that, when it's, it's not a charity and they don't give out jobs for free, something so small, which sounds like it's so like, obviously 
everyone it's common knowledge everyone knows that but it's something that it really helped me not only my self-confidence but uh, my self-worth as well as a, a pers- person outside of just only the stuff I did when it pertained to work um, and I, I really want to just say again thank you for that because it meant a lot to me at the time and it doesn't seem like it it's taken like I probably didn't give you the flowers when when you when I when you deserve them <laughs> but I just wanted to let you know now because that's something that's always stuck with me and you mentioned it again I'm like this just it rings so well and it's so true oh man thank you I'm, I'm glad it helped I'm really glad it helped and hopefully other people listening can see that it helped Manny you know coming from me and hopefully they can also employ the similar similar concept because it's just it's true it just takes the sometimes you can look at these massive companies and think man I'm just so small and insignificant but it doesn't matter right now you're you may be a cog in the wheel but it's a way to sustain something it might not be means to an end but it's a way to get there and you know you'll help yourself get a foot in the door and stuff like that and hopefully these these, that kind of advice can help hopefully um but you know moving on to the next thing Manny what I wanted to bring up was um was something you do differently because obviously we've talked about what we'd um what what we would do is there any things that you've learned from that you found didn't work out so well for you when you did do that and what would you change about the way you've applied yourself the way you've written your written certain things up in a in like a cv or a cover letter or how you'd even present yourself sometimes is there any advice you could give yes. straight off the top of your head for that yeah sure like definitely for a cv i would say one page i had the cv longer than one page and i remember talking to my siblings and like they like to me make sure it's one page and i didn't understand the importance of it and obviously being of a computer science background we were made aware of the fact that these cv readers actually have like a system where they pass in that information from your CV and take out keywords and things like this. And it's being able to identify that there's a system in place prior. There's like a screening that happens before the actual screening to be able to even get your CV into the door. And that's something that I picked up on. And that's where I made a big change on my CV when I made it into one page and I cut down certain things. For example, like my university degree and my like academic background is all done like on separate lines but it's only takes up one line only and that's something for me that it sounds very small sounds very particular um but it's something like this where it gave room to for me to be able to talk about projects for me to talk about my experiences and volunteering and all the other plethora of things i've done outside of my academics and that's something that when you speak about what i would have done differently was something i would have picked up on much much earlier in the process um would have changed my cv to one page another thing actually that I actually have started doing i don't think i've actually sent you the screenshot because you're obviously working so you don't need it but the screenshot is something that you did i have a csv i have an excel sheet like a google sheet with the tracker yes job stage rejected why and then something that i wanted to touch upon that you mentioned earlier that i don't feel like people do enough when you get a rejection email, I email back. And sometimes as a person, yes, like, Manny, I thank love you. That. I love that. Like, thank you. And thank you, Susan, for getting back to me. I really appreciate you taking out the time to reply to uh, the pro- my email, the process in terms of letting, notifying me this. Um, I understand that this role may be filled or there's obviously uh, other people who are like better suited. But is, do you feel like there would be other roles in the company in the near future or anything currently you see that would be very, uh, very good fit for myself? And it's small things like that. People sometimes just see a rejection email, they read it and they're like, oh, let's go again, let's go again, let's try somewhere else. 
but you'd be shocked about the amount of times people actually get, get back to you after emailing. Like I emailed one company and the guy actually got back to me. He said to me, these are the other roles that we have. And uh, this is some, one of the, some of the few that I feel like you'd be a good uh, fit for. And it's small things like this that we sometimes don't take into consideration because we think to ourselves, oh, we've just been rejected. We kind of do feel a little bit low, a little bit of a knock to our confidence. But we can take these rejections as a redirection and be able to try and move and maneuver into a, a better place, perhaps even if it's in the same company, but in a different er business area. I think it's super important to be able to reply to these people and even ask for feedback because it shows a lot about your character as a person and they'll take note of this. They obviously see your email, see your name. And perhaps next time you apply to the company after six months, um, they might be like, oh, you know what? I remember this Joseph person. He emailed me, had a quite a nice exchange and he seemed like a good person and he seems really willing to make those extra steps. And I can tell in his application now he's a better fit for the role than he was six months ago. And it's things like this that we sometimes don't, take into consideration because it's such a small act like you said it's only five minutes who would have thought five minutes could change the rest of your life no it just sounds crazy but it's really really impactful and I'm, I'm really hope and implore people I know that's something that I started doing recently as well which is a bit different to what I used to do but that's that is a big big one for me 100% but how about you what would you do differently um I would probably <laughs> there was one thing that I said um to to an interviewer and it was like, I'm not going to lie, Caroline. I'm saying have a good time. Bro, I don't know why I said that. I don't know. Yeah, I get Bro, you it. sound like you're in a nightclub, you absolute joker. Exactly, bro. It was, it, I don't know. Honestly, that was probably their biggest regret. I still got offered the job, but I feel like that may have compromised, <laughs> may have pushed to the wire a little bit more. Maybe it was a good thing to say because it broke down some barriers and made her, her she did laugh after I said that. But... I feel like maybe that was like, I took the casualness a little bit too far, a little too far. Um, so maybe that, maybe don't be as casual as I was in that instance. Um, also, I remember for one of them, I had to walk like half an hour. I was wearing really badly fitting shoes because I didn't have any smart shoes at that point. So I had to borrow some. And even though I've got small feet, this per these are women's shoes that I was wearing. Bear in mind, I'm exposing myself left, right, center here. <laughs> I was wearing women's smart shoes because I didn't have any of my own, and they were so small that the back of my the back of my heel started to bleed, and I was literally I was I limped into the office with my foot bleeding, like blood coming through my sock, and I was thinking, "This is a bad omen, boys. This is a bad omen." but I still got off the job anyway, but I was in pain. It was not worth it. So I don't know if it was, I don't know, right. Whether it was worth it to, to just borrow the, the smart shoes so I could at least show up in smart shoes or should I have showed up in like non smart shoes, but not have my feet bleeding. What would you say, Manny would be, what would you say? Like in that smart situation, shoes, smart shoes take the L, take the L. The, yeah. Go to, but okay. I was about to say to you in general, it's um, interesting how you, and maybe it's just a mechanism you do, like you self-inflict pain so you don't <laughs> feel that different, like heartbroken or hurt when you uh, do, do, do the exam, not the exams, do the interviews. Maybe it's just a, a pain misdirection. Maybe. You just, <laughs> you just change it so you can't, you don't feel the heat or the pressure because the pressure's on your feet. Are, are <laughs> you know, subliminally, that, that might be it. That might have been it, but 
you know that's something i do i, I do i do regret but you know i guess in terms of do differently when finding work um one time i was too honest and i said that i'm gonna i'm gonna be leaving in two weeks should not have told them that should have just said yeah i'm here for three months and then should have just left anyway so i didn't get the job offer for that one um even though I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I did well in the interview. But when I said that, oh, yeah, I'm only going to be here for another two weeks, I can't lie, I needed the money back then. I was, like, 16, and I needed the money. So, because I wanted to, like, travel and stuff like that, and I wanted to save up for moving away to, to uni. And I didn't get the job, so maybe I was a bit too honest there. But Wait, six, then again, sorry, do you mean 18 or 16? Oh, no, yeah, sorry, it's 18, 18. Yeah, yeah, my bad. I was moving out to uni and I needed some more money. And I was like, okay, let me just go. I was like, you, I'm a whiz kid. Well, you've just been at uni for too long. No, yeah, yeah, been at uni for way too long, way too long. Yeah. No, no, I was, I was 18. I was going for a job at Waitrose. And um, I made it through to the interview stage and stuff like that after doing a few things. And um, I had to the one-on-one interview after doing a group one. Um, and at the very end, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm only going to be able to to be here for two weeks, but is there a possibility for a transfer? Just like that, the man was like, right, well, I think we're done here. And he got off and shook my hand. I was like, oh, for flip's sake. Oh, I took an L on that one, I can't lie. Yeah, but imagine your notice period was two weeks, but you literally given your notice the day Yeah, I'll start, and then after my first shift, give my notice in. Yeah. <laughs> no, I couldn't mock it that much. So maybe that was a good, maybe that wasn't like necessarily a bad thing I would have done differently. Um, a couple of other things, I guess, is research the company a little more. There's been a few phone interviews that I've done when I didn't really know the role that I was applying to. I knew about the company. I knew, you know, what kind of stuff they might ask in terms of technical questions. But when it came to how do you think you're best suited for this role, the classic question, I was just stumped. I was like, that's a good question. What is the role again? And I was like, oh, you're no, so funny, oh. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they should have hung up on me there and then, man. I can't lie. I would have hung up on myself. That was an L. Um, so I, I guess it's re- make sure you're well researched is something that I I need to probably do a little more when I'm going for other jobs in terms of well researched for the skill set, well researched about the company, well researched about the role. If there's a job spec, read it inside out. If there's a person spec, read that inside out in terms of like the soft skills that you need to have. And also, as you said, Manny, which is you had your 14 page note documents, you were conceptualizing questions they could ask and responses you would give to those questions. That's something that I wouldn't even consider doing, but that's something I'm definitely going to start doing when I start applying for new jobs and stuff like that, because that's a great idea. You know, trying to even if you don't necessarily predict the right questions, there'll still be some sentences in there some buzzwords that you can regurgitate and use and some experiences you can draw from that can be applicable to more than just one scenario. So that's a really, that's a really something that I probably would do differently and learn from you, Manny. So yeah, I'm definitely going to take that into the future for sure. No, hundred percent, man. And it's, it's something that I've done for quite some time. And I obviously I have a much older sibling. So this is the knowledge being passed down a trickle down effect really in that way when it comes to jobs and interviews and how to conduct yourself and things like this, which I've been quite fortunate to be in that scenario because you're the oldest in your household of your twin brother. So for you, it's your learning these things. So it's very much a different experience when it comes, it comes to like doing jobs and job interviews, because I'm sure you're going to pass this down onto your uh, sisters when they grow up and things like this. And it's, you are basically 
the guinea pig and test trial at like a test run for how jobs are going to be and how interviews are going to be so it's, it's something really important obviously i've been fortunate enough like i said i'm the youngest so all this knowledge and experience gets passed down to me i mean i like what you said about you're the oldest in your family oscar's definitely not gonna be happy to hear that oldest sibling i'm gonna I'll let him know. I'll uh, let yeah, him know. but it's a technicality, man. You're both the same age. Like. Lasted one minute as well. He still holds it over me. Yeah, legit. Me. Like, I don't even hold that against you, man. Like, it is what <laughs> it is. It's 60 seconds. You know what yeah. I might start doing, actually? It must be really funny, actually. When is, your, when is both your birthdays next time? I'm going to message him first and then message you one minute later. Oh, my God. Randy, you're going to make think, me cry out here, man. You're going to make me cry. That's going to be absolutely amazing. I think that'd be Brutal. class. Brutal. Yeah, bro. Like, I know your brother's going to complain and Maybe this is actually a good segue into our next question. And when it comes to why do people struggle to say good things or convey how great they are? Obviously, this is a bit different because it might be your brother talking about you. But when it comes to yourself or just people in general, I know a lot of my friends who say to me, oh, Manny, sometimes I, I struggle to kind of articulate things that I feel like I'm good at because maybe I don't want to come across as if I come and know it or very complacent. And these ideas are constantly in their heads. And it's a, we tell ourselves a lot of stories. And I wanted to ask what your thoughts are when it comes to struggling to say good things about yourself. And do you even struggle with this? Um, thankfully, I don't really struggle because I, I know that um, it's necessary. You know, I know that I, I, I'm not usually a very cocky person. I'm confident. I'd say that I'm confident. But I'm not really a cocky person. I don't really like to, to gas myself up in, in normal life. I just, you know, my favorite type of humor is self-deprecating humor and stuff like that. And, um, just, you know, I'm always happy to have a laugh and a joke about myself because I have a lot of confidence. I think it takes confidence to do that. But when it's in a job setting, sometimes, it, or not sometimes, all the time, it is essential that you have the confidence to, to not brag about yourself, but to to gas yourself up a little bit to build yourself up and to say actually I am good at this these are things that I am good at this is what I can do because a lot of the time we're taught to be we're taught to be humble we're taught to be you know reserved about things we're not taught to to gas up our achievements and stuff like that and sometimes it's it is against us to, to do so when we're looking for a job sometimes they want people who say what they're good at and vocalize what they're good at and people find that difficult to do because we're taught not to because i guess may, maybe it's a british thing i don't know but we're we're taught to just go by things go by life and not make other people feel worse about themselves by guessing up how great you are no one likes someone who's cocky no one likes someone who's you know super overconfident and talks about how great they are all the time but because we're taught that it may impact people when they're trying to do it in a job setting another way that that could you know people could struggle with that is through a lack of self-confidence sometimes people genuinely don't believe that they've got the skill set they don't believe that they're good enough and when they write down the things that they are good at they read over it and they start to think oh but i'm not that good at it it's not worth writing or they think oh well my 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 uh, public speaking isn't very good and my and they find it hard to say good things about themselves one of my friends is finds it particularly difficult because he suffers a lot with anxiety and he isn't good at talking about what he's good at because he believes that he has so much more left to learn he compares himself to people who are so much more qualified than himself 
and he doesn't think that he has the right to call himself good at something because he's comparing himself to people who are better than himself and that comes down perhaps to a lack of self-confidence and perhaps to the hustle culture of people always striving for better people are always looking at someone who's better than them and thinking well I'm not good at yet I'm not good at this yet I can't say that I'm good at it when I'm not but in reality they, they probably are good at it and they just don't realize they don't take a step back and think oh, let me appreciate what I am good at let me appreciate myself for the confidence for the ability that I have in this coding language for the ability that I have in my public speaking in my communication skills in the 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 way I am the how much I know about certain psychological conditions and stuff like that just anything anything that may be for from a job perspective people sometimes find it hard to look at what they are good at and it's the hustle culture I think sometimes because you're constantly comparing yourself to experts you're constantly comparing yourself to everybody in the whole world you know on episode 25 in season one talking to Adrian he was saying that we're not meant to have seven billion people in our pocket as a comparison matrix we're meant to have the people around us and we compare ourselves to that and the immediate community and then it helps you see actually I am good at these things and I do feel more comfortable writing that I'm a talented individual I'm a hard-working individual I'm good at these languages I'm good at talking about talking in general I'm good at delivering psychological analysis or assessments and delivering interviews and stuff like that and if once you're able to realize what you are good at it then allows you to start building yourself up and convey that you're good at these things and I think the hustle culture perfectionists suffer sometimes because they are aiming to be the best at something and if they're not the best they don't see themselves any good at all and I think that's one major thing that needs to change in some people's mind when they do want to deliver how good they are at something and convey that they're actually that they are a worthy uh worthy competitor for this job um do you have anything to say about that Manny as well do you have anything you would like to add on it's funny because uh, one of those things you mentioned about not feeling uh, like you have the right skill set. Don't get me wrong. I speak to friends still to this day and I say to them, I look at these job descriptions and I think to myself, I don't have the right skills and I don't feel like I'm good enough yet. And it's something that I suffer with as well. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes down to the skills, for me, it's always an opportunity to actually learn something. So, for example, um, something called SQL in what we do is like a query language to pull data from a database i'm not super confident at it i'll be honest so then i sat down for like a week or two weeks and i took notes and watched youtube videos and tried to learn it because i was like if i'm going to apply for this job i'm going to put some time and effort into it it's not like i haven't learned this before but i'm not i don't feel confident enough to write it on my cv and if you actually look at my cv i haven't written everything we learned at uni only because i feel like i'm not super confident with the things that we have learned at uni so I understand the reservation when it comes to not being able to uh, convey that you've done something or perhaps even in my case, I might start adding these languages in, but then give them like a tier for like beginner, intermediate and advanced. And uh, I understand from that point of view uh, where people can suffer because I'm definitely still there at the moment when I talk to people about things. And this is talking about a person who's um, been offered a job and it is very difficult. Don't get me wrong. And, I just wanted to say something that you were right and you mentioned about hustle culture. The idea of that we we always see people doing better than us, yes, it can be inspiration, 
But if we obsess over that, I feel like it then becomes very damaging to ourselves and it can really affect how much we actually care about and appreciate ourselves because don't get me wrong, I love LinkedIn. I'm, I, I always like advocate for it. I think it's a really good platform and it's really useful. But sometimes I read LinkedIn and I'm like, you've like conquered the world at 23 years old and I'm sitting in my room just chilling on my phone. And it's so crazy because like and and don't, like for me it's it's a sign of inspiration I'm like, oh that's actually amazing the guy's gone out of his way or girls gone out their way made a name for themselves or done all these things and really put themselves out there and then someone said to me actually once they're like you you look at all these people but do you not feel like people look at you also and that's when it really got interesting because it's like because when you really look at something objectively it's very hard to struggle to say something good like I've worked for this company I've worked for another company and it's it's these examples these references that we have where for ourselves it's like oh we've just done it it's just the next thing on to the next thing but for someone else it's like hold up a second can you just take a moment technology do you know what that actually means and I think that's where we struggle because we put so much meaning into what other people do and not enough into what we do and that's why we struggle to convey how good we are at things and how great we are because we don't give up enough credit or meaning to what we do and that's a strong thing that happens not only to me from time to time but people I know and it's it's really upsetting because there's people I know personally Joseph that are very very talented people and it really is the idea of them struggling to formulate and find the right uh, references to be able to say to someone I can do this I am capable of this here's an example because when you give an example, it's very, it's very hard to deny facts. And that's what I started to do. I started to be, a, I'm a very good public speaker. What's my evidence? I've, we do a podcast every week, as best as we can, <laughs> every week uh, for the last year and a half to two years, coming up to two years now. It would be very difficult for someone to challenge me on my public speaking now, based on those experiences and based on the fact that I was deputy student of my school. But these are all references. But then it comes to the point where I had no experience. I had no, I had no confidence. I had none of these things. And I went for those things anyway, because I know it would be a stepping stone. And I feel like that's where there is a massive gap because people who don't feel like they're good at something won't even take the risk to go for something good because they don't feel like they have the capacity or the capability to do it now. And the truth is, if someone said to you, you could get 80% of everything you wanted out of life, you'd probably take it. And I would take it as well, don't get me wrong, as much as I love to get 100. And if you think of it like that, and you think about how jobs actually work, they would be willing to take someone who's 80% there. Because 100%, if you're the finished article, it's going to be very difficult to teach someone or learn new things. You're obviously, you're going to be, you're going to learn more advanced things along the way. But someone who's not done everything and learning from scratch, they might find and have different approaches to things and different perspectives rather than someone who's proven and has been able to do it. And I think th these are important things to mention because you're not cocky for saying, like, for example, Joseph, you're not cocky for saying, I was the social sec for the computer science society at university. That is not a cocky statement. That is an observation and a statement yeah, that is true. Yeah. And then, and then you could be like, this is why I'm good at scheduling out, I'm good with scheduling out tasks and being able to uh, delegate tasks where necessary. And I'm able to manage a project because I've been able to manage 
like very high scaled events. And it's stuff like this where we know people that feel that they struggle to find those connections. And I've noticed it, Joseph, I know you probably have as well, when you ask, I don't know if you've done this, have you asked like people to come to the podcast and the first thing they say to you is, I don't know what I could talk about. Yeah, for You know, sure. that is, the, I hate that sentence so much. <laughs> it aggravates me so much. Because then I'm like, okay, let's just play this one out. You don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to read out to you. So someone's like, oh, I said to my mate, I said, you do medicine and you've been doing it for three years. You also need to do these exams to be able to go into medicine. You also have to get these grades, which means that you have a way of studying that is going to be beneficial for people because they're going to be able to find out if they can operate the same way you do. You could talk about that. I said, none of that's a lie. All of that is true. And then that's where they get stumped. And they're like, you know what, Mandy, I don't know if I'm too confident about talking and stuff like this. And this is why I always try to incentivize people to jump on because at the end of the day, it's always not only an experience for us to be able to learn something new from someone else and delve into their mindset and how they've become the person they are, but it also gives them the confidence to be able to talk about themselves. And when it is the right time and place that like we're mentioning today on today's episode about finding a job and being in an interview, they'll have the toolkit to be able to convey those messages and say that I've done this and I know I can do this and I'm capable of doing this. Even if I'm not the full way there, I know that I'll be able to learn it because I've demonstrated examples of when I've learned something and gone on my way based on the projects, based on the uh, volunteering, based on whatever someone's been able to do. And I just want to say I appreciate one of your statements on the questions when it says perfectionists suffer from this one from a future assistant psychologist. I, I really appreciate your girlfriend dropping in the snippets of knowledge, man, because it is really useful and it's really great to have someone else jumping in with their perspective as well. Yeah, cause I, I saw I saw the question that you initially posed about, um, you know, why, why do people find it difficult to hype themselves up? And I thought I'd just ask her because, you know, from a psychological standpoint and it was it was very interesting to hear her responses. So a lot of the stuff that I was saying just in my when I was talking was from, you know, from her research and her studies and stuff like that. So it is very well documented that perfectionists suffer from this and the the hustle culture is so in, in like ingrained today that that's something that is studied and something that is really really well researched so those kind of things are definitely uh definitely important to consider and if you find yourself and you consider yourself to be a, a bit of a perfectionist then take a step back and see what you have done and see what you are able to do and see your abilities and assess yourself at your current rate not for what you could be not for what you're going to be in a few years time assess yourself for where you are at now and just write it down say i am an intermediate level coder i am an advanced level team uh, team speaker or team manager or project manager i have got a basic knowledge of x y and z or i've got a strong foundational knowledge of you know the the ethics of mathematics stuff like that anything and give an honest assessment of where you're currently at even if you're not fully advanced where you want to be because you're such a perfectionist, a lot of people find that that's what they focus on, what they could be, not where they are at. And they don't appreciate it. Sometimes they do have the skills. And I think that's really important to remember that when you, when especially when you have anxiety, like a lot of people do and a lot of people suffer from, it's hard to do that. So sometimes it's nice just to look at what you can do and use that to hopefully inspire and also what you were saying was great about evidence-based um evidence-based gassing yourself up evidence-based 
uh, proof, you know, looking at, okay, these are things that I've done. I was a social sec. And now how has that benefited me? You use evidence. At that point, you're not even being cocky or confident or showing off or beating yourself up. You're simply stating facts. You're stating that I was able to do these things. I organized events. I delegated tasks. I directed people to do these sorts of things. That's not hyping yourself up. That's not making yourself be cocky. That's just stating facts about the things that you did. And you're just writing in such a way that shows that you have those skills. And that's really important to remember as well. So especially when you're a perfectionist or you're, you know, anxiety sufferer, these are the kind of things that can help. And these kind of things can also help you in your wider life as well, just giving you a bit of confidence in yourself, whether even outside of the job hunting um, angle that we're going for today, just in your life in general, if you have those things, it can just make you feel a little bit more confident and a bit more comfortable. And I think that's really important. Yeah, and talking about confidence, I feel sometimes we struggle to say good things about ourselves, perhaps because we've gone through this whole process. We've actually been there and articulated to someone else that this is what we believe, this is where we feel we'll be a good fit for the company. And then you have to deal with the, the rejection from the fact that the company may not feel like it was a good fit. And it hurts, it definitely does. Why it hurts, obviously, a lot of factors when it comes into that. And it's very hard to stay optimistic. But I wanted to ask you Joseph because don't get me wrong I've obviously been on the process of applying myself just after university and when you and I don't know how you dealt with it because when I made that google sheet and I wrote down all the companies and I was like rejected 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 I'll be honest there'll be times where I thought to myself you know what this is really difficult and um, obviously I can have a bit of a laugh and a joke about it now but in those moments it does really take a knock to your confidence and there's times I'm communicating with my friends and I'm, I think to myself, you know what, I really want to go for this role, but I'm not too sure because I got rejected by a role that was very similar and perhaps it might just be the same. So I won't bother even going for it. And I wanted to ask, how were you able to deal with the rejection in the job hunt? Uh, did it affect you as badly as it may have affected myself or other people you know? And how were you able to stay optimistic? I was able to stay optimistic by just, again, reminding myself that it's not personal. And that, I, thankfully, I received feedback. You know, that was the most important thing for me. I received feedback. I saw where I went wrong. You know, my cover letter wasn't particularly strong. That's fine. That's something I can work on. Admittedly, did I put the amount of effort that I should have into this cover letter? I reflected upon it and not really. I didn't. So that's an instant change that I can make. Okay, spend 15 more minutes on it spend another half an hour on it, make sure it's better, make sure it represents myself as best it can and shows why I am a good fit and why I deserve this job and why I deserve to be considered. And that was just reminding myself that, okay, there's more things that I can do here. There's, and it is disheartening. It definitely is because you maybe hype yourself up and you think, oh, I've done a great job. I can defo get this one. But sometimes you need to be realistic with, you, with yourself and ask, did you really try as hard as you could have for this application? And sometimes you don't really want to. Sometimes you just want to spam apply and hope something sticks. That's fine too. But then you have to have thick skin to realize, well, you're not really putting your whole effort into it. So rejections are inevitable. And if you have that mindset, that's okay because you'll be mentally prepared for it. But at the same time, you'll know that you've spent so many out that maybe one or two will come back 
and they'll be successful and then you can progress and then as you progress you can spend a bit more time i think i was able to stay optimistic because i had i also had other things to do as well i think keeping busy is really important because sometimes when the only thing you've got going for you is like that one job application you start to fixate on it and you start to get so focused on oh this job is going to be great it's great for these reasons x y and z and then when you get rejected it feels even more disheartening because you hyped it up to yourself so much whereas if you spend time just applying for a few different jobs you know maybe four or five at a time and that way you're not completely fixated on one thing also distracting yourself with other things like seeing your friends doing some sports doing some exercise cooking any sort of hobbies you may have so that you're not hyper fixating on one thing which is also volatile you know it's it's not guaranteed that that thing you're focusing on i.e that one job will go well you might not get it but if you're hyper fixated on it it may hurt even more and it may start to make you feel much more disheartened so i'll say for me the best advice i can give about staying optimistic is about not hyper fixating on one job application or one thing do other stuff as you're going along with it. Because when you apply for jobs, a lot of the time, you won't be working at that moment in time. You'll be wanting to put your effort into those jobs. And so if you're not working, you want things to distract you. So just find something you can do alongside it to stop you focusing so much on that one particular thing. Um, but yeah, I was about to say something, you said focusing on one thing and one thing alone. And that's perhaps something for me that I, I have to deal with especially now that I was injured at the time. And obviously all I've been able to do is just write cover letters, CVs, sit at home, obviously call a few friends, keep up to date with them. Um, but it's hard to not be able to go outside and continue your daily activities or doing something you enjoy. Because when you really like focus on one thing, it's very easy to be overwhelmed by that and struggle to think to yourself because ultimately that then becomes your life and it takes over your life and, when that starts to happen, every decision, whether positive or negative, I feel like is becomes very hyperbolic. It very becomes very exaggerated. And it's quite easy to be very euphoric in one moment by getting a yes, but also by getting a no, it becomes very, very heartbreaking as well. So my advice, I would say, to staying optimistic, and don't get me wrong, it does definitely hurt. It's being able to understand that there's this journey of searching for jobs it's not i don't think it's it's not fixed it's not the um the idea is oh it's not after 25 applications you'll get a job it doesn't work like this it's a it's a game which everyone plays but the number of turns you take is going to be different for every single person so there is no need for you to compare with someone else and there'll be people along the way that can help you but for the most part it's it's basically you versus you and you're constantly trying to find ways to improve yourself and look for job roles and um, places that you feel you'd be really suited to. Because don't get me wrong, it's always great to see people going for something that they really enjoy rather than perhaps going for somewhere else where they feel like they might get the job, but it's not something that really aligns with them. And this is where I wanted to jump in. Obviously, it's very early on in our careers, but is getting a dream job realistic? Do you feel like that? that's a thing that is something that you believe in? Is that something you, you're going to work towards? How would you speak to that when it comes to your dream job? Um, I feel like a lot of the time it's unrealistic to think on a Monday morning, you wake up and you think, 
man, I can't wait to go to work today. But I think what is realistic is to think, oh, okay, it's Monday. Cool. I'm guessing I'm heading to work. Rather than thinking, oh my God, I work again. Oh, I hate this kind of thing. I think the middle ground is not as good as it gets. I don't want to say that's as good as it gets because you, I'm, not, I'm sure a lot of the time people love their jobs. But if you're just doing a, a typical, we're talking about typical office working kind of jobs in an environment that you're cool with, you like your coworkers, everything like that. But I think as for a lot of people, a sign of you found a job that you're happy in is that on a Monday morning, you, you're, you're kind of just like, oh, cool. Okay. Work again this week. And you're not, you're not completely loving it, but that's fine because sometimes you might have parts in that job that you really love, you know, times that you really love your job. Like for example, my mom is a nurse. There's times in her job when she absolutely loves it. She loves her job sometimes because of the people that come in, they're so grateful for the work that she does and the, the hard work she puts in as a, as a frontline worker. And, you know, there was a lady who came in who was giving her baby vaccinations for the first time and she was so nervous about it and so scared because obviously it's a small baby and as a needle, it's so intimidating, worried about the baby crying. And my mom has been doing this for 30 years now and she was so reassuring and the, the mom who came in, the patient who came in, was so grateful because the baby was laughing as she left. And my mom reassured the, the parents saying, no baby who's ever left my room has left crying. And that just reassured the mom so much. And, you know, my mom was so happy that, that day coming back from work because of that interaction she had. But at the same time, there's parts of the job that she really hates when there's like really just gross things that she has to do as a part of the job or things that she's not too passionate about such as cleaning wounds and stuff like that and things that are just aren't that nice and so sometimes there's this balance where you need to think well I love my job sometimes but there's also times when it frustrates me when I dislike it and that's okay that's reasonable in our job in our job area man as a software engineers there's times when we love our job because we get that satisfaction of holy I've eureka I've done it I've, I, I've my tests have passed my program works it works you have that eureka moment but there's also times when you have that frustration moment and you think man nothing's working oh man i'm so bad at coding i suck at this and you go back home and you're thinking oh man i can't believe i can't figure this out and there's that duplicitous nature of things when you have the frustration and you have the difficulties encountered but you also have the passion and the love for the job as well and these are jobs that me and you love i, I really love my job as well but i'm not going to say it's my dream job because that would be and I'm not going to say like I wake up every morning and I can't wait to get to work, but I, I do wake up thinking, oh, cool. I can't, I'm looking forward to it. You know, those are the kind of things that I think is more reasonable. Maybe I'm being pessimistic. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm seeing the concept of a dream job in the wrong way, but that's just my, my, my Your dream job. Just sounds like a holiday every day, mate. <laughs> that, that, to be honest, nah. maybe it is maybe a professional um, influencer. Of course. But I think um, it is definitely realistic to get your dream job. I feel like, uh, even for myself, there's certain aspirations and goals uh, which I want to achieve. And I know that it's a process and it will take time. And there's certain places that you look at in terms of company-wise that I want to be here for a certain number of years and I would like to move somewhere else and things like this are consciously on your mind. Um, but I definitely think it is a, a goal that everyone can uh, work towards. And sometimes we might think the dream job that we want 
is the dream but then you realize that there's something else that you didn't realize the turning that you got into and next you know that job that you didn't think you would enjoy that much would be something that you look forward to I know uh, lots of people actually that really enjoy waking up and going into yes they're tired sometimes they're not feeling too great in the mornings but if they ask you to speak about work they probably could speak until the, the cows come home they, they really that much wow and, that's amazing yeah like it's 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 things like this where I have examples of that in my life so I know definitely there's an idea of someone finding their dream job and that doesn't mean the dream job I feel like it's very difficult to pinpoint I feel like it's a dream job in that moment rather than it being the be or end all because don't get me wrong I feel like the be or end all for many people would be working but at the same time enjoying your life and it's very hard because that's such a fine line for some people and I know definitely there's people I've spoken to that have found that a happy medium and it's it's amazing so I from my standpoint I definitely feel like it's realistic I feel like it's a process and if anyone really wants to go after something they can absolutely make that happen and the dream job is realistic I love how we both uh, had contrasting views but yet we still somehow agreed they're, they're beautiful many that's beautiful <laughs> um but yeah just just while we're still touching on the the dream job and perhaps dream goal um would you say that once you achieve your dream goal you lose life motivation such as you know we saw tyson fury achieving a dream goal is life's ambition of becoming the champion of the world and then from there on, he had nothing else to focus on. He had no reason for living in his eyes. He had no reason for living. And so he just ended up spiraling into a deep depression because he had literally no direction in life anymore. And he had to come back from that. But that's all because he met his dream goal. Do you believe that people are able to maintain a dream goal? And once they reach there, do you think motivation does get lost? Or do you think you can find something else to focus on and keep focusing on building yourself up? Where do you stand on that? I think it's um, very interesting when you're at the apex or the highest point of any any type of thing for, in our case, Tyson Fury to win the champion of the world as a boxer. And it's, I feel like the, the idea of working towards that was where he believed that he had the most satisfaction. And when you get there, it is difficult, especially when you're at a really top level. There is nothing, there is nothing more for Tyson to be able to do once you're the champion of the world, you're at the top, it's everyone else taking the crown off you, you have the crown. And I feel the best way to actually be able to manoeuvre from that is to be able to find somewhere else or something else that you can think to yourself, okay, I've been able to do this and put my, all my energy and my focus into this and be able to uh, get to the highest level. What else can I do to be able to do that in a different context? And I feel this is what happens with high achievers where they, they don't necessarily lose motivation, but it's the, they probably struggle to maintain it when they're at the highest level at the top because it's, it's here we go again, we're doing the same thing just to retain what we already have because we've reached it now. And I feel that's why lots of people say that the, the most beautiful thing uh, on the journey to success is actually the journey itself and the destination because it's the work towards that is it's the ongoing desire and hunger to be able to reach those uh, really lofty targets. And then when we reach them, it's like, oh, there is nothing beyond that. And I think this is why you see lots of people who have made a lot of money or very successful move to different sports. Like 
and in, in some cases not very successfully. For example, Michael Jordan left the sport of basketball and went to baseball. But you can see that like he reached his dream goal. He didn't lose motivation, but he had to channel his idea of reaching the top again, but in a different area of life. And I feel that's what people do at the highest level. So I don't necessarily think they they perhaps lose the motivation to sustain it in their own in their own area. In this case, for Tyson Fury, it would be boxing. But I think if you said to Tyson, oh, we want you to be the best in the world at X thing instead, since you've already conquered boxing, I think he would continue to be as motivated as he once was when he was going after being the champion of the world. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? Um, I think that, yeah, I think it's good to look for different challenges, look for different try and branch out a bit you know if you've reached your dream job and you're satisfied in your career try and branch out try and see okay well could I look at different hobbies to do look at different ways of building my skill set in terms of getting better at some sports getting better at some creative stuff getting better at being a good philanthropist even if you're you know got a bit of money money on hand you know stuff like that just looking at different ways to branch out your skills and abilities and just try and create yourself as a more well-rounded person um yeah i think i think you covered everything quite well so i just want to add that that little thing at the end um but yeah for for some individuals manny for those who are yet to find a job and are looking for advice you know one final thing we've covered a lot of stuff today and a lot of things that that i've learned from you that you've learned from me and hopefully people can you know really take that but you have to deliver a, a lasting message what, what kind of stuff would you say Manny for those who are yet to find a job and yet to find the things they're passionate about the most in their career I think uh, it's so for me I just want to touch on this as well because I know it's one of the questions we had like my biggest fear really for going for a job is not being good enough and looking at that spec and then being concerned I don't have all the skills that are required for that role. And that's really where my advice like, stems from in that sense, where I believe that you're not going to necessarily check all the check boxes uh, or tick all the boxes for the job. But if you know co with confidence, you can do eight of the 10 things at a very high level, just go after it. And th that's where we struggle. I feel we're very hesitant. We, we very much analyze a lot of scenarios and jobs and we think to ourselves, Oh, I'm not sure if I'm good at this. I'm not sure I'm good at that. Instead, let's start reframing the idea of what well, I am good at this. I can show up for this because I'm able to do these things. I am willing to learn. And it's really changing the dialogue that we um, have when it comes to finding the job because I've definitely been there where I said, I'm not good enough. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do that. But when I start changing the script to, I'm not capable of doing this right now, but I'm willing to make the effort, especially if you say something like this in an interview, it very much comes across as a person who's willing to go the extra step and people appreciate that. And that's what I would say to people who have not found a job yet. The advice I'd give you is be intentional where you apply, but don't let the intention be the reason you don't apply to things that you'd want to apply to, because you can be particular with what you want. There's nothing wrong with that. But you also need to be able to understand that you might not have everything that a job might need you to have, but they're willing to take you if you can even hit 80% 80 of what they expect from you. What would you say to our listeners, Joseph? I would say the, the key takeaway is to appreciate the abilities that you have right now. Appreciate yourself for what you've got, for what you can bring to the table. Know what you're good at and know what your skills are. And also keep in mind where you can improve. Don't be 
you know, completely cocky and overconfident and think, yeah, I'm the best, boom, easy, done. I'm good at everything because that's not realistic. And even if you do believe that sometimes that may get shut down pretty quickly. But if you know where your skills lie, where your strengths lie, and you take a step back and compare yourself to where you were before, you can clearly see that you've improved. And I love what you did about the evidence-based um, evidence-based skills. You look at what you've done. You look at the things you've made, the responsibilities you've had, the roles you've achieved, the exams you've passed, the coursework you've written, the, the trials and tribulations you've been through in life. Just look at what you've done and and then just write down what it's allowed you to do and what you had to do to achieve those things. And then naturally you can start to see your skill set. Naturally you can start to write down what you're good at and gas yourself up a little bit and make yourself look look like a, a person who's suitable for these kinds of jobs and stuff like that. I think that's the, the best advice for me to give. But thank you for listening, everybody. We really appreciate tuning in. And, you know, Manny and I are very passionate about this right now because it's very relevant to us. Um, so hopefully you lovely people listening can find things that are relevant to you as well and find things that can you know, help you out in these job hunts and perhaps even in your wider life in general. I think that'd be really important and really useful if you can take that away. But you know what would also be useful if you could share this podcast with one people or one person around you, let them know you heard two people talking about the you know ways to improve your your job applications and stuff like that. We'd really appreciate it because you know we don't do any uh, any advertisement. We post once a week on our Instagram when the episodes go live. We try and upload Sundays at six thirty. A little bit delayed sometimes, but you know life gets in the way. But we do make sure we get out every week now that we're back. Um, and we appreciate all of you for listening. Thank you so much again for joining us this week. This is the DMC podcast signing off.